But this morning, um, we're going to cover all four Gospels in about 30 minutes. You're welcome. So that means I have notes to keep me on task. But to be in the Word of God, turn to the Gospel of John. And really, there's, a, there's just a few ideas out of the first chapter of the Gospel of John that we're going to press into this morning. And again, just paying attention to the gift of Jesus. So when we sit in the Gospels, well, first, yesterday, you just sat in, in your households, in your relationships, ex exchanging gifts. But when you sit in just what the definition of a gift is, we usually have some kind of package that's wrapped. You know, my kids are always underneath the tree shaking stuff. They're always guessing what things are. Eli threw 10 pounds of weight into a box to throw Julie off from the reality that it was a gift card yesterday morning. So we, we, have, a lot of, we have a lot of fun in exchanging gifts in our household. But when you sit with a gift, as you, as you know, there's always the question of what is it? You open it up. There it is. What is it? What does it do? How does it do it? There's these different questions. You know, if it's something as simple as a shirt, you know, you put your head through that hole there and you put your arms through those two holes, holes there and voila, you got a shirt. You know, it's a little bit more complicated than that, especially for young kids, whether it's right side, about inside out. Is it called right side in, right side out? How do you call it? Um, facing the right direction and those kinds of things, right? But when we sit in maybe a technology item, for those of you who have kids, maybe you gave your kids Legos, oh my, and you dump out all these pieces on the floor, usually you have a package that's going to give you the picture of what it is. But when we sit in Jesus manifesting himself to us, it's as though, you know, when you look at Legos and you get that instruction book, it's you don't have an image you throw all the Legos on the floor, and you're given one page of instruction at a time as he reveals his nature, his character, and all those different building blocks. And it's the same with your relationship with him. He is building you one little Lego brick at a time. And there's coming, you know, he's, he may have given you glimpses of what you were going to be in the future, but ultimately he is going to image himself in you and in us for all eternity, oh my, the gift of Jesus. When we sit in the Gospels as, as just a, an overarching definition of who Jesus is as a gift that is given, he is given himself, he is being given by the Holy Spirit, he is being given as, or he's being given uh, by the Father, but he is the one who defines himself. And as we sit in the Gospels, we have the definition of who he is. But we also have the instructions of, all right, well, what do we do with this gift? How does this gift work? What does this gift mean to me? We sit in the Gospels. You have major Old Testament definitions, so just identifying Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. We just sang Jesus Messiah. Messiah is a very specific title for an anointed one. He has been anointed of God. He has been anointed of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus, the name that has been given to us, that he is going to save us from our sins. By definition, that's what his name means. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the king, the promised one. But then we're given all these other definitions in the Gospels where you have to have an Old Testament context to understand 
that definition. What does it mean that he's the son of David? What does it mean that he's the son of Abraham? What does it mean that he's the son of Adam? So in the genealogies that were given in Matthew and Luke, we're given those titles that Jesus is the son of David, very specific promises given to David in defining who Jesus is as the anointed one. Same with Abraham, same with being a a descendant of Adam. And ultimately, as we sit here in the Gospel of John, who are we told that Jesus is? Jesus is God. He was in the beginning, the Word, defined as the Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him. Nothing that was created was created apart from him. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. And then we're told here in the Gospel of John that the Word that was in the beginning that is God, what? He became flesh. The Son of God was given, became flesh, took on this flesh that we have as human beings for a plan and a purpose. Which is, which this is, is we sit in like the Christmas songs and you sit in Isaiah chapter 6, for unto us a child is born. A son has been given to us. The son of God has been given to us. And there's, there's a reason and a purpose for the gift that's being given, which we've all heard a thousand times and we've all pressed into this reality that we're going to just once again remember and define uh, this morning as we look at the Gospels. But when you look at Jesus define himself through the Holy Spirit as he is causing his disciples to remember him. So we have the testimonies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the history of where, um, you know, who we believe the writers to be and where this information is coming from. You have the Holy Spirit moving upon their hearts so that he can give us the definition of who he is and what it is that he did. So when you sit in again in an overarching view of the Gospels and the testimony that we have in regards to Jesus, I summarized it with a list. If you're taking notes, I'll read it fast and we'll go kind of one by one. But he's teaching, preaching, healing, performing miracles, rebuking, forgiving, calling, and sending. And all these different snapshots that we have of his life, those are the overarching things that Jesus did as a gift that was given to man, as empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's sitting in this position as a teacher. What is the number one testimony in the, in the Gospels in regards to Jesus as a teacher? That man taught like no other. Hold in your mind right now your favorite teacher, man, woman, doesn't matter. The person who you, just, you love to listen to, everything that they say, they, they have wisdom, they encourage you. When, when they lay something down, um, it's easy for you to pick up and understand. You have that person in your mind as, as a teacher that just astonishes you. Now picture that person in diapers messing themselves because that's what they're like in comparison to Jesus. When he taught... When he opened his mouth, he left people in this position of astonishment. He taught like no other. And even to this day, he still teaches us like nobody else teaches us. Because he is God. He is the source of truth. He's the source of your life. He knows everything about you. He knows how you think, how you process, what you're going to hear, what you're not going to hear. He teaches you in a way that nobody else can teach you. 
And this is, this is the reality. Even as we listen to other teachers, it's, Lord, you speak to me. You help me understand what it is that I need to hear from you. You help me understand what it is that I need to learn from you as teacher. Not only did he teach, he preached. And there's a difference between teaching, helping to understand principles and ideas, and preaching. Pre- preaching, Jesus, we are told that he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. There is a heralding, there is an announcing, there is a proclamation of the good news of God's kingdom. What is it that here we live in all these earthly kingdoms, we're subject to spiritual authorities, government authorities, uh, you know, sinful human beings. What is the good news in regards to there is God's kingdom that is coming in the future. There is God's kingdom that has come into our lives right now through faith in Jesus Christ. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is the kingdom that wherever Jesus went, as a gift being given, the words that proceeded out of his mouth was a constant proclamation to the kingdom of God in opposition to and eternal, uh, in opposition to every other kingdom that we know about and eternal in contrast to the Uh, to the finite reality of Satan's kingdom, the governments of this world. Here is the king proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. When we sit in healing, you watch Jesus heal in the gospels. And I think this, this is, these are the stories that cause us to, I think, to, to melt, to, let down our guard and defenses when we watch his compassion towards other humans. So this is a list that I wrote of all the different things that he was healing people of. Sickness, disease, those people who had it bad, had it evil in their bodies and in their lives, torments, demon possession. He healed the lunatics, which we understand to be epileptics. He healed Leprosy, fever, paralysis, blindness, deafness, muteness, lameness, bleeding, the withering, the the, the dry, decaying body. Ultimately, he even healed death. This is the reality. When we sit in Jesus as a gift that has been given unto us, have you ever had an affliction in your life? We sit in, in, in this relationship through faith in him and know and understand that every affliction that we have, whether it's a physical affliction, whether it's a mental affliction, or whether it's a spiritual affliction, he and he alone is the gift of our healing. And even if he doesn't heal us in the physical thing that we want right now, or you're damaged mentally, you think wrong, and you need him to correct this, there's a trusting relationship that goes on there. And ultimately, we have this future promise that he has healed us, he is healing us, and there's coming a future. He will heal us fully. Again, this is the gift that he is that he's given to us. We watch in the Gospels as he performs all these different miracles. We watch him rebuke those that need rebuking. We watch him forgive those that are looking to him for forgiveness. And in the idea of him calling, he very specifically said, I did not come to call the righteous. 
I didn't come to call those who think that they're okay, that life is grand and that you don't need anymore. He said very specifically, I've come to call sinners to what? To repentance, to a change, to a turning. So, do you need anybody to tell you that you're a sinner? And do you need anybody to point out your sins to you? Had I have had that in my life prior to Jesus Christ, I, I, my, my personality and my historical me would just been whatever. You go live your life, I'm going to live my life. I'll define what's good and bad for me, and you can go define what's good and bad for you. But the reality is, is as I was living my life, and I was living my life in my own personal afflictions, I had the Holy Spirit convict within me as a gift my sin. And this is, this is the reality, the gift that Jesus is to us. He lets you know when you're off. He lets you know when you're approaching a line. He lets you know when you've crossed a line. He lets you know what your affliction is. He lets you see and feel your brokenness and your need, and you hear that call. Come to me. I'm calling you to change. But again, this is, this is that relationship that we, does Jesus do the 180 for you? Does he change your mind for you? He speaks, he teaches, he proclaims, he heals, he rebukes. There's this, there's this constant calling of keep turning to me. We all have this, this definition, this, this uh, monument, this memorial that we have in our life. Like here, here was the day, here was the season of life where I heard that call to repent. As a sinner, I knew that I was living in darkness, and I heard that call from him to turn into him. And then in that calling, as I came to him, and we step in that cleansing, and we'll press into that in a little bit in, in defining him as a gift, now it's not only as he called us, he is also sending us. And as he sends us, what does he promise? Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, as he was sent to go and minister to the Jews, and in his life of ministry, he was empowered. Jesus did the exact same thing with his disciples. As he sent them forward, what did he do? He gave them the power to do what he was telling them to do, and he gave them the instructions to do what he wanted them to do. And this is, this is what's so comforting about Jesus in my life and what ought to be comforting about him in your life is you don't have to guess. You don't have to stress. You don't have to strive. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? He's, he's going to speak to you and lead you in that moment, in that day. He may be preparing you for something in the future. He may have given you a promise about the future where you're trying to yank it into your present. But the reality, just be patient. He is making you in him. He will empower you to do exactly what he is sending you forth to do in his name. And it's an absolute incredible promise. Before we get into finishing his narrative, I want to pause just in the two. When it, when it comes to a gift, if you are giving a gift to somebody, what does that person have to do with the gift that you're giving to them? They need to take it. They need to receive it from you. 
As we sit in the gospel narratives, there's very clear there are those who receive Jesus and there are those who reject Jesus. So we have rejectors and receivers. And I was, I was watching football last night, so this is the, the picture that is standing in my brain. As a receiver, a receiver is supposed to do what? Catch the ball. For those of you who don't know what football is all about, Amber. <laughs> all right, football, those football maniacs. What's a defensive back? What's a DB? What are they supposed to do? Reject the ball. So in this analogy, if you have God, the father, as the quarterback, who has the football that needs to be received, and this image would be Jesus Christ, the power in which the ball is going to be thrown is through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have two different positions. You have somebody that's on the same team as God, the receiver that needs to receive that gift, and you have somebody who is on the opposite side, on the opposite team, who is there to reject. And listen to the heart conditions of those who rejected Jesus through the narrative of the Gospels. Ultimately, every single one of them, a rejecter is defined by unbelief without faith, and a receiver, those who receive as we receive Jesus, we are told that it's by faith. But as a rejecter, the, here's all the character definitions that were given. Unbelief, fruitless, without worship. They're troubled. And again, this, this is, you think about every single one of these definitions, not, um, not in a relationship with you, but in relationship with their God and with their creator. They're troubled in that relationship and who they are and what their life looks like and the circumstance, whatever that may be, there's, they're, they're troubled on the inside. God is offensive to them. They seek to destroy God, to put him to death. God causes anger and indignation to find his poisonous snakes defined as tempted, and the tempted become tempters themselves. Think about the reality. When, uh, as sin grows in the life of a human being, when somebody is tempted and they give themselves over to sin and they continue to give themselves over to that sin without repentance, not only are they tempted, they become tempters to others to pull them into that lifestyle also. Tempted and tempters, blasphemies, blasphemous, slanderers, they mock God. Again, in the, every single one of these think in that relationship in rejecting the gift of Jesus. Ridicule, scorn, mocking, laughing at, betraying, wolves, haters, violent, or plotting and scheming and entangling. Blind guides, they think that they know God, but truly they're blind as they attempted to guide others. Hypocrites, their behaviors, their attitudes are permeating, leavening, confrontational. I bring up just as, as we look at Jesus and his life and what, is, what it was that he was doing in the Gospels, I bring up the rejectors first because it's ultimately that, like, 
that's heart, that's mind, that's character definition of those who are rejecting the gift of Jesus, those are the individuals, and that is the heart, and that is the mind that led to Jesus' betrayal, that led to Jesus' condemnation. Condemnation as a sinner, he is not from God, he is against God. It led to his suffering, whether that was verbal or the physical suffering that he endured, his scourging, the whipping, the beating, the crucifixion, his death on the cross, the betrayers, the, the rejectors, that heart of rejecting the gift is what that led to. However, what happened after his death? His, his, this, this is the radical, what is it called, the paradox of the cross? that his death was truly a victory. And sit in that light. His, the gift of Jesus being given to you for the purpose of calling you to himself, the, the how does he do it, like how did he save me from my sins, the victory that is given was his sacrificial death upon the cross. That's the power of the gift that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. But the thing, the thing that's incredible, victory always leads to power. His victory led to the power of his resurrection from the grave. Think about this. Think about when Satan has victory in your life, who has the power, you or Satan? Satan's got the power. When somebody is victorious over you in any way, whether it's spiritual or if it just in doesn't have to be sin in any context in life. The person who is victorious has the power. And when we yield to and receive Jesus as the gift that has been given to me and to you, he gives to us his power. His victory leads to power. The, the great definition is you sit in Jesus when he is being tempted by the devil. How does he respond to the devil? The devil, or Jesus responds to the devil with, we don't live by bread alone, by what we consume, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's your life, his word, his source. He is the word of God, right? Full of grace, full of truth, full of his light, full of his life. All these definitions that we have in this first chapter of the gospel of John. We are to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And not only that, in our position, in our relationship with God, in receiving him into our lives, we're not supposed to tempt God. We are not to test God. We are not to put him in the student desk and give God the exam as though we were the teacher. We don't tempt him. We don't test him. We submit ourselves to him continually. And we're to have no other God. We are to worship him alone, and we are to serve him alone, right? These are the words that proceeded out of Jesus' mouth as he's answering all of the temptations of the devil. What was given to Jesus when he was victorious in those temptations? He was strengthened through the Holy Spirit. 
You watch at his baptism where the Holy Spirit descends upon him and fills him. And then he is immediately driven into the wilderness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, being tempted by the devil as he is victorious in that temptation. Again, you watch that he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. I know when I give in to the tempter, that's my, my weakness is, because I'm giving power to the devil in my life. When I am victorious in temptation, I am giving power to God in my life, and I'm pressing into his power and to his victory. His victory leads to his power in our lives. Now, receivers, as we sit in the testimony of those who receive Jesus in the Gospels, I want you to look at verse 12 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. Because this gives us the definition. As many as received him, receiving the gift, taking possession of him to yourself. To them, says, he gives the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. The access, the how we receive the gift is through faith, through believing in his name. As we believe in the name of Jesus, we are not believing in some, you know, some mantra, and it's not some, you just say the name of Jesus, and it's magic. When we talk about the name of Jesus, it's his nature, it's his character, it's the definition of who he is as Savior, but not just as Savior in his entirety as God. Those who believe in his name as you enter enter into that relationship through faith, you are given the gift to become the child of God. And this is where the gospel of John sits in, you know, John chapter 3, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, how are we born again? How are we given the gift of his life, the gift of his grace, the gift of all of his different promises? We enter into those things through being born again, through being born of God. A gift right there. <laughs> Mom, don't worry, he's totally fine. <laughs> when we, um, this definition of being, being, you are handed the right. You were, you were adopted as a child. It's something that you were not before. It's something that we are told that he makes us in him. It's something that we are told that as he is making us, it's that imagery that we are being built, that idea of one brick upon another, one brick at a time. We are told that we are inheriting his life. And again, the Gospel of John is giving us this definition that Jesus as the word, that life is in him, that he is the life, that as we enter into the relationship with him through receiving the gift, that we are inheriting his life and all that he is for all eternity. As we receive this gift, we have a responsibility. That responsibility, we are told, is repentance, and it's not just a singular act. It's a constant turning into him. It's a constant, Lord, change my mind, change the way that I think, change my life, transform me into your image. 
in that initial act of repentance, we are told that there is an outward initiation of baptism, that there is an immersion not just into water. We are told that Jesus, like John, we are going to be baptized with water. John came baptizing with water, but what is Jesus going to baptize us with? He's going to immerse us into the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit and also with fire. But again, the baptism, there is an initial act of um, its initiation. It's, uh, um, um, you know, it's that initial historical act when we believe in Jesus Christ that we are immersed into him. There is that initial public act that we are, what we are imaging and we are declaring ourselves to be his. But there is a constant act of baptism in our life where we are continually being immersed into the Holy Spirit because we need his power, we need his mind, we need his cleansing. And a lot of the imagery that we have in baptism is cleansing, right? We come to Jesus day in and day out confessing our sins. So when John was baptizing with water, he says, uh, the Gospels tell us that people were confessing their sins. And here's that contrast between somebody who is receiving Jesus and somebody who rejects Jesus. The opposite of confessing is denying. So when Jesus says, A is wrong, confession comes out of my mouth and my heart, A is wrong. A denier would say, A is not wrong. What God says, I'm denying that. And again, this is, this is where this, this imagery of constant baptism, constant cleansing, that constant imagery of the old man is dead and buried. I have been resurrected into his life. I am a new man. And this idea of I'm constantly being refreshed in him. I'm constantly being cleansed in him. I'm constantly being renewed in him. It's him living his life in me, through me, and out of me. And then again, this, the, the whole idea as he calls us to himself and as he sends us, we sit in this imagery that we are following him. And here, again, overarching promises in the gospel that when we follow Jesus, we are told that the promise, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father is upon us. We are told that we are to be mindful of the things of God and not the things of men. We are told that as we follow Jesus, that we are to remember that with God, all things are possible. And in this relationship with him, we are told that as we follow him, that he is always with us. Really quick, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 77. This is John's dad, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, as we talked about prophecy last week. Here, God has given him his words that he is proclaiming to those that are listening and ultimately to us. But as he is prophesying over his son, John the Baptist, look at verse 76. It says, you, child, you will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And look at, look at verse 77. This is, this is what we are to give to others. 
defines John the Baptist's ministry, defines our ministry in Jesus. We are to give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Um, really just sitting in overall, you know, we, this is a recurring cultural holiday that we have every single year. Um, and the older I get each subsequent year, the greater appreciation I have for this season. Because every year that goes by, the Lord brings about different circumstances in my life to, um, to display to me the, his, his, the, the, it, the word is manifold, where it's all these different facets of his glory and all the different ways that we can look as Jesus as a gift that has been given to us. We sit here and we celebrate as a culture and exchanging of gifts. And the reality is when we receive a gift, we can, be, we can have a lot of joy and rejoicing and gratitude at the moment that we receive that gift and what it means to our life and the source, you know, who that gift came from, it can mean a lot. But often what happens with the gifts that we're given? Sometimes that, that emotion can fade, the memories can fade, the, the attachment to that gift can fade, the relationship of where that gift, um, because there's a transition in that relationship, now that gift doesn't mean what it used to mean. It could be, you know, somebody may have given you a Bible once upon a time and you were reading it voraciously and you were great, grateful for it and it was everything that you wanted in that moment and then the gift later on down the road is just sitting where? could just be sitting on the shelf and being ignored. And this is the reality that we want to continue to press into this idea that Jesus is our God, he is our source, and he has intentionally given himself and all that he is to us. And not just at a point in the past, but today and for all eternity. He's, he's offered his... I, what is God? How did, how did he create the heavens and the earth? What is this power that he has? What is it that as God, he became like us for the whole purpose of saving us from our sins? And that as we receive him, what does he do for us? He makes us again. Again, I told you before, like, I don't need to tell you what all of your sins are. I don't need to tell you what your issues are. I don't need to tell you where you're off. You know that because of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And this reality that when we receive him as a gift, he's asking to, he's asking to, um, he's asking you to let him transform you. Go back into the image of like the Legos and the building blocks when we have this idea that our God, through faith in Jesus Christ, takes up residence within our lives. You have a home structure. So if you just imagine your home right now, your dining room is where it is, the furniture is arranged the way that it is, you have your decorations the way that you want them. When you receive Jesus into your home, he starts to make you in his image. That means he gets to shore up the house scrape away the foundation that was shifting and establish himself on this 
as the new foundation, as he wants to rearrange the structure of the home and he wants the dining room over here where the bedroom is wherever he wants to shift stuff this is the permission that we're giving to him when we receive him into our lives but again he is he is a gift he is a gift of grace he is a gift he is the gift of truth and of love and of righteousness and all that he is but often it's okay i want these speakers in this room where they are and jesus may come and say you know what blake i want these chairs right there and not those speakers right there and what do i do i fight them don't change that don't move that don't adjust that but again, as, as we receive him as gift, as he is making us in his image, let him do it. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just want to... Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to understand who you are. You tell us that you are the almighty God. You tell us that you have created the heavens and the earth. You tell us that you are light and that you are life and that you are love, that you are true, that you are holy. You give to us a volume of definition out of your word and out of our, our relationship and just the circumstances of our life that we encounter you every single day. You give to us all of this definition. You give to us the instructions that we need, Lord, to live by, how to follow you, how to serve you, how to love you, how to honor you, how to talk to you. You show us what faith looks like, what unbelief looks like. You show us what it means to receive you. You show us what it means to reject you. Sometimes, Lord, when you reveal yourself to us in that unwrapping of the gift imagery, we say, wait a minute, that's not what I thought. That's not what I wanted. But we're asking, Lord, that you would help us that as you manifest yourself to us day in and day out, whatever it is of you that you were handing to us, how you were speaking truth to us, what you were leading us to do, how you were empowering us, Lord. We're asking that you'd give us just that, that, that faith as a child to trust you. Lord, we trust you that you have given us the right to become children of God. We trust you that you have caused our sins to be removed from us. We trust you that you have given to us your life and your life alone. We trust you, Lord, that you have taken up your dwelling place within each one of us. We trust you, Lord, that you are making us to be the men and women of God that you have created us to be. 
we trust you, Lord, that we will inherit you and all that you are, your life, your power, your glory, your holiness, your majesty, all that you are, Lord. We believe confidently that you have given us your all and that you have held nothing back. And that truth, Lord, compels us to love you and to follow you and to worship you, to hope in you and to have true, humble, audacious gratitude for the gift that we have been given. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray.